Since summer kicked off, uh, we've been in a collection called Summer Playlists, and uh, basically, if you're new here, we speak in what we call collections, you know, summer series, uh, message series, but we take a thought and we just extract that thought uh, for a number of weeks, and so we kicked that off a few weeks ago called Summer Playlists, where we're taking time to go through uh, different values of our church, and values are simply principles that we live by. All of us have values, uh, whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally. We have values or principles that we live by. And so we figured, man, what a great opportunity over this summer to discuss values uh, that we live by as a church community. Now, I say as a church community, but these values are really uh, for us uh, are, who are followers of Jesus. So if you don't follow Jesus, then you're having a chance to kind of peer into what every Christian, every follower of the way of Jesus should uh, value. And so we talked about Jesus is our message. You know, everyone has something to say. We all have a message. And I just think as followers of Christ, our message should be what Jesus is saying. And then we went to uh, passion uh, is our standard. That the passion of Christ was poured out on that cross. And so because of the passion that he displayed, it's the same passion that we should follow him with. And we should do things with excitement and zeal for the Lord because of what he has done uh, for us. And today we're going to continue that conversation to help uh, lead me off in it is uh, Luke. We're going to be coming from Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 30 through 37. So what has become custom here at the Becoming Church, will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Luke 10, uh, verse 30, verses 30 through 37. And uh, you can join me. You can flip with me there, scroll with me there, or you can join me right here uh, on the screen. But verse 30, it says this, a man, this is Jesus talking, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, and he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful and thankful for this time and space that we share together. And the Lord, we pray that over these next few moments, God, that you help us to be focused, to be uh, intentive and in tune to what you're doing in this moment. God, we don't have to ask for your presence to be here. Your presence is already here. But what we do ask is for you to make us aware of your presence, Lord, so that we can respond accordingly to what you're doing in a moment. God, we're here, God, for transformation, not for behavior modification, but to be truly transformed by the power of your word. 
And so, God, open up our eyes and allow us to see what it is that you're showing us. God, open up our ears and allow us to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. And, Lord, as your service in this space, we say this. Speak, Lord, because we're listening. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Come on, come on. Everybody said? Amen, amen. You may be seated. Family, have you ever, if you have kids or maybe little siblings or nieces or nephews, have you ever taught them something only to turn around and not do what you taught them? Have you ever done that? Because you know what happens next. The minute you don't do what you taught them, they're going to remind you of it. Like you may have taught them to, hey, we need to be nice to people. We need to respect people. We need to honor people. We need to be kind to people. Then, of course, what happens? You get in traffic, and then somebody cuts you off, and then you yell, you idiot. And then the kids go, ooh, mommy. I mean, um, ooh. <laughs> Did you hear what you just said? Ooh, that wasn't kind, right? Come on. Or maybe this is just K- or us. Um, you know, you don't have these moments in front of, in front of your kids. You, that, that never happens. But immediately, they start reminding you of what you said and what you said not to do. And how we are to treat people like, oh, I thought we're supposed to be nice to people, that we're supposed to respect people, or that we're not supposed to say mean things to people. Family, can I tell you, those questions right there are not just questions meant to remind us of how we're supposed to behave and interact in traffic, but they are also intended to remind us of how we should behave as Christians as followers of Jesus, that we are supposed to be different. We're not better than, but we are different from. And so our response, our attitude, our mindset should reflect the character and the nature of Christ. We are supposed to be people who care for people. You know, Jesus would say the greatest two commands are to love God and to love others. And meaning love God and love people. And we have to love people and understand that our love for people does not change because of the climate of culture today. So I think because of the climate of the culture of the the world today, that it has caused some of us who are followers of Jesus to forget that we are supposed to love God and love people. And so the world, I don't know if you've noticed this, but man, people are tense, people are tight, people are angry, and just the smallest of things can set someone off. But what I'm figuring out and what I'm learning is that there are a lot of us who follow the way of Jesus who are responding the same way. But we are instructed to love people, to care for people, In the same way that Jesus did, Jesus had people on his mind, on his heart, that when he, when there was a way to to bring humanity back into relationship with God, he was the only way. 
that there was not another option. There was not another way to, to make this happen, to make this right. In fact, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying this prayer of like, yo, this is a lot. This is a whole bunch of what I'm going through. Lord, this cup of suffering is a lot. Can you take it away from me? But in the next moment, he says, let your will be done because he understood that this is the way that it must go. He had us on his heart. He considered us. He thought of us. And so in the same way that he had people on his heart, we are to have people on our heart. And that is one of the values here at the Becoming Church. But as I said a moment ago, this is not just a a value of a church organization, but this should be the value of a believer, of people who follow the way of Jesus. And so, again, if you don't follow the way of Jesus, you're getting a chance to kind of peer in into the conversations that we're having and what it looks like to truly follow him. And so to give a little context uh, to the text, in Luke chapter 10, or basically where it picks up, what's happening is the time is coming for Jesus to be crucified. And so he's making preparations for that. He's preparing for everything that's soon to come and all that that's going to require. But in the time between, uh, he sends out uh, people ahead of him or messengers ahead of him to the tune of 72. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, we think of disciples, we think of 12, or we think of the, the smaller group, Peter, James, and John. But there was also the 72, and he sends out the 72 into different villages to proclaim who he is before he gets to Jerusalem. Now, that 72, they come back excited because they experience a lot of great moments. They saw the miraculous take place. They saw signs and wonders. All these different things happen. So they're excited and and really just elated to tell Jesus about this, to share Jesus uh, of these amazing things that they witnessed. When in the middle of all this, in this whole conversation and what's happening, there's a lawyer who stands up to ask Jesus a question. And now when I say lawyer, I don't mean someone who's a trial lawyer who may be arguing a case in the court of law, but I mean someone who was well-versed uh, in the Mosaic law of, of Moses. And so this interaction happens when he stands up and he asks Jesus this question in Luke chapter 10, beginning in, uh, at verse 25. It's going to be here on the screen where he asks this question. He says, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus, in a way that Jesus does, he flips the question back to him and he says, well, what is written in the law, he Jesus says, how do you read it? And so the guy, the lawyer answers, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now let's look at the first a part of his answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. What the lawyer referenced right there was a Jewish prayer known as the Shema. And this was a prayer that Jews would pray and really still do pray today, twice a day as a way of expressing their devotion to God. And here's how that prayer went. It went like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, there in that prayer, that line that says, hear, O Israel, It does not simply mean to allow sound waves to enter your ear and go out the other. It's not enter this way and out the next, but it was much deeper than that. It meant to allow those words to really sink into who you are, 
so that they could provide understanding and to ultimately generate a response. So in other words, it was about action. It was about what action would you take from what you are hearing. In fact, in Hebrew, hearing and doing are connected. Hearing and doing are the same thing. So if there was no doing, then the assumption was there was no hearing. So if you have children in the room and you tell them to clean up your room and you come upstairs, like, didn't I tell you to clean up your room? So in Hebrew, there's none of that. Because in Hebrew, it's like, okay, you just didn't hear me because the room not clean. Now, we would call that we just being petty in the moment. But (laughs) no, you didn't didn't understand. You you weren't tracking. (laughs) But in Hebrew, it was like, no, if there's action, it's because you heard and so you, you did. And, you know, I think it's very interesting that the Shema would be mentioned because it's communicating the value and the importance of devoting our lives to the Lord. And I think for all of us in this room, if we just kind of stop and pause and ask ourselves, are we truly devoted to the Lord? I think for some of us, our devotion to God depends on how it fits within the framework and the structure of our lives. So how does this fit my day? How does this fit my plans? How does this fit what I have going on? If it fits that, then yes, I'm devoted. But the moment it causes me to step out of that, the moment it causes me to uh, be disrupted, to have my plans interrupted, then I don't know about that devotion. You were at church how long? You got to serve how long? You got to do what? You got to, they ask you to give this, they ask you to do what? Hold on, that's a little bit too much. The moment it brings anything outside of the plans and structures that we have for our lives, our devotion all of a sudden changes. And so we have to ask that question. Are we truly devoted to God? I think it's a real question to ask. I think it's a genuine question to ask. You know, oftentimes I'm, I'm really challenging myself with this. It's to, to, it's to slow down because I think we pray for moments with God, but I think we miss so many moments with God that we're like, God, we, we need this moment. We need this. We need that. And, and it's all there throughout the day. But I think what happens because we're living a sped up life that we're missing moments with God. And I could attest to this. So maybe I'm telling, my, telling on myself about that introduction. But traffic is where I get frustrated. That's what I mean, I'm telling on myself. It wasn't you. It was me. <laughs> but if I would just kind of slow down and think about this, maybe that train coming through and I have to wait is because there was some thing on the other side that would have been very detrimental and and, and an issue for me. Maybe there was an accident on the other end. I'll never forget as a kid, I remember we were living uh, in Texas and uh, we were just moved to a home and we were still going back and forth from the old house and bringing stuff to the new house. And so uh, we're in uh, uh, my mom's car and she was driving. It was me and it was my cousin. And this U-Haul cut us off and jumped in front of us. And, you know, my mom prayed for him. And uh, (laughs) she prayed for him. But when that light turned green and the U-Haul took off, here comes this pickup truck running the red light and runs smack into that U-Haul. Now, we were in a little bitty Honda Civic. That thing would have messed us up. But it didn't do anything to that U-Haul. So I just wonder... 
Could we be okay with the interruptions of God? Can we be okay with the interruptions of heaven? While we think it's an inconvenience, it's actually a divine interruption. It's a divine moment of the Lord saying that I have ordered your steps. I know where you need to go. I know where you need to be. But we get that understanding when we allow ourselves to make room for him by being devoted to him. You know, there's research done by this Harvard professor that says if we would spend 18 minutes a day, you can master something. So I don't know, maybe you want to play the piano, maybe you're working on your golf swing, or maybe it's, you know, you're trying to learn a new language. 18 minutes a day will allow you to become effective of that. And I just think, what could our lives look like if we prayed for 18 minutes a day? What could our lives look like if we took 18 minutes a day to worship, 18 minutes to be in his word? We have 24 hours a day. There's amount of hours set that we give to work. There's some hours set that we, that we sleep. But what could the, with that time of only 18 minutes, and it's very easy, what do we do in a car ride? Your commute may be about that distance. So maybe instead of, you know, the, 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 the crime podcast, what if you took time to pray and talk to the Lord in that moment? What if you took time to worship? What if, what if you took time to, to just be silent and sit, sit in solitude before the Lord so that the noise of the world can be turned down, so that the voice of God can be turned up in our lives? 18 minutes a day. Because ultimately, I know this, what we love, we will be devoted to. And so where our time where our energy goes, our talent, our treasure, it reveals our devotion. In the same way with God, our love for God is revealed in our devotion to God. And I think some of us, we're living life just kind of with him tiptoeing on the edge. But he's calling us to go all in. He doesn't want some of us, but he wants all of us. You know, like when you're trying to test the waters of the pool and you kind of stick your toes in, you're like, oh, that's a little too cold. But the faster you just go in, the faster your body will acclimate to the temperature of the water. It's the same thing with the Lord. He's just like, look, stop trying to dip them toes in. Just go and get in the water. Just go and step in the water and go all in because there is so much life in Christ. There's so much that he wants to open us up to. A lot of us, we're living closed boxed in lives. We're living inside the tent. And like Abram, he's like, listen, step outside of the tent. Look up and see this open, expansive life that is available. But we only get the revelation when we devote time, space, and energy with the Lord. And so it's very interesting that the prayer, that, that the answer of this lawyer's question of how do I inherit Eternal life would begin on devotion to the Lord. But that's not it. There was a second half of that response. And the second half is in verse 27 where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's just be honest. Can we do that at 1134 on a Sunday morning? Can we be honest? It is difficult to love your neighbor sometimes. Like, come on, it's, it's just, it's difficult. And it's difficult for many of us because to love our neighbor, it doesn't always fit our plans. It doesn't always fit our preference. And so sometimes it's like, wait a minute, you want me to love the Democrat? Nah, you tripping. 
I ain't loving no Democrat. They crazy. Oh, you want me to love a Republican? You out of your Republican mind talking about, oh, you want me to love them across the street? Nope. I didn't see them celebrate no Juneteenth. I'm not loving them. Can I, can I, can I say this stuff? I can say this stuff. I'm just, you, you think it, you talk it anyway, right? They got that flag with the line through it. Oh, we know that's a code for something else. Don't say, don't act like this stuff is not being said. And all those things are filled with our own perceptions anyway. So we can't even define what it really means anyway because we actually haven't spoken with that person and understand who they really are. But culture tells us to say, well, if they vote this, vote that, have that, have that, then this is who they are and this is what they think. So then we dismiss people and hadn't even had a chance to know them. And maybe just maybe that person can actually be an answer to a prayer of something you've been praying. Maybe they have the solution to something that you've been trying to figure out. But because you see something and culture has defined what that is, then we don't open ourselves up to even be in relationship with folks. And so that's why loving our neighbor becomes difficult. It's because we haven't even allowed ourselves to go and connect with our neighbor because we allow the definition of the world to define if we would ever connect with them or not. But loving your neighbor, it requires us to look beyond our own feelings and to consider someone else's, to consider others. And here's the thing. When we have a hard time loving people who don't act like us, talk like us, look like us, dress like us, vote like us, listen to the music that we listen to, watch the shows or listen to the podcast, then we're missing the whole point of our salvation. Because understand who we are. We are sinful people. As we are, we're sinners. But here you have a God who does not interact with sin. It just, it, it can't exist around him. So he had to send Jesus, the one who would become sin, so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. So sin created this barrier between us and God. And so we were out of relationship with him. We were in community with him like we were intended because of what Adam and Eve ushered in to the world. But now here comes Jesus, the last Adam, to fix what the first Adam messed up. And so because of that, we've been brought back. We've been reconciled back to Christ, meaning... To dismiss people, we forget the reality that we were not dismissed. That Jesus consider us that when he hung on that cross, it was for you and I. It was for Michael. It was for you. It was for all of our sins. So who do we think we are thinking that we get a pass on loving people because it doesn't fit our preference? Who do we are think we get a pass of loving people because they vote differently than us, because their culture is different than us, because they're a different ethnicity than us? No, to do that dismisses the message of the cross. Are you hearing me this morning? We've got to get this understanding if we are truly going to live as followers of the way. He doesn't say love God and love people as a suggestion. He says, no, the greatest two commandments are to love God and to love people. And if that love was based on what we preferred, then listen, family, that's not 
love at all. We've been called to love people with the kind of love that God has loved us with. There were no strings attached. It was unconditional love. So continuing on in the story, Jesus, this is where I feel like there's some pettiness came. You know, let me go back. I feel like the stuff I just said was like a, a tough thing to like swallow and something to kind of process. But I do want to say this. It's the truth. And we have to separate because American cultural Christianity like has invaded the church and it has uh, the American church. It, ha- it has caused us to um, like wash the scriptures like through the context of American culture. But we can't live that way. And so while the world may scream and yell at people and say hateful things and and do hateful things towards people who are different than them, that can't be who we are. Even if it's what they do to us, we have to pray for them. It's the way, I mean, whose kingdom are we in? Whose kingdom do we belong to? We have to remember that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. So the prayer is, God, help us to navigate the space that we're in. Help us to understand that we're different from but not better than. But let me live with the reminder that this is not my home. So I'm not going to adapt to the standards of this place, but I'm going to live to the standards of heaven. And this is what heaven says. When you look at Revelation 7, it's all nations, all tribes gathered together, come on, declaring the glory and the goodness of God. Hear me this morning. Don't you dare allow some political pundit to tell you not to love the people who are sitting right next to you. Don't you dare allow some political pundit to tell you not to love the people that you work with, that your children play with. Think about what we could do together if we dismiss that garbage and we live according to the word of God. We can't be people who allow ourselves to be tricked and schemed into gathering in these tactics. Because here's what I know. Everyone who spits all this stuff out behind closed doors, they're together. And they're making deals. And they're loving on each other. But then here we are with the people that we see in our proximity, we dismiss. And now we miss out on life-giving and connecting moments. But hear me. It doesn't mean that we dismiss the past or act like the past or real things didn't happen, but we don't stay there and dwell on there. We say, Lord, how can we connect and come together and heal? There are things in my lifetime that I feel like I have a posture that says, not on my watch. I can't control everyone else, but I can control my response. I can't control what people say to me or what people do to me, but I can't control my response. And maybe, just maybe, by somebody seeing my response could be something that ignites something in them that says, I'm going to link up with that too. So you say not on my watch, I'm going to say not on my watch. Somebody else says and say, well, if you two say not on my watch, I'm going to say not on my watch. And now we have a chain reaction. That's filtered in the word of God that's ultimately bringing change. So we don't have to be Christians that sit back and say, well, what's going to happen to us next? What are the schools going to usher in next? 
What are the schools going to teach next? What are going to be the programs next? What are going to be the uh, curriculums next? I don't care what the curriculum is next. I know that there's nothing stronger, more powerful than the Word of God. This thing has been contested for so long, but yet here it is, and it still stands today, and it's going to still stand no matter what empire puts up against it. And in the same way that those early followers of Jesus advanced the good news of this gospel so that you and I are here today hearing it, it was because of the power of this word that ultimately an empower, empire that was against this became an empire that was flipped upside down because of the power of his word, because of some believers that didn't go duck off and hide and say, what is the world going to do to us? But some believers that understood the power that's in the name of Jesus and said, I'm going to walk in that authority. So I don't come to you in the name of Michael Hamilton, but I come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's at his name, not my name, but it's at his name that the demons run and are afraid. So we have to be Christians who live bold and don't allow ourselves to get sidestepped by the tactics of the enemy. Because Psalm 133 says, where there is unity, the Lord commands a blessing. And so if you want to destroy something, what do you do? You destroy it from within. So you divide. But as the body of believers, we have to be united together so that we can be this army. You know, Matthew 16 says, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Listen, when we hear that, we think that, you know, we're going to be over here and hiding in this position and the gates just won't overcome us. That we're going to be protected like we're in a storm shelter. But that's not the interpretation of that. It says the gates of hell will not prevail. You guys know this, that gates don't move. Gates are there to keep things out. So when Jesus says gates of hell will not prevail against his church, he's saying that his church is on the offensive and his church is invading hell and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the body of believers, which is his church. So church, will we stand up? And be on the offensive. We are not victims, but we are victors through the victory of Jesus Christ. So we got to be ready to move forward. And we got to tell, listen, if there's something you've been dealing with your sons and daughters, you got to tell hell, you will not have my son. You will not have my daughter. You will not have my marriage. You will not have my family. Why? Because of the authority that's in the name of Jesus. But we only get this revelation when we choose to live according to his word, not according to the culture of today. Are you tracking with me this morning? This is what God is calling us to. We, we have to make up. We have to make up. A we have to make a decision to say, I'm not going to play church anymore. That I want to do this for real. That I want to be on, can I, can I be uh, like just real with you guys? I'd rather see an a empty space. I'm probably not even supposed to say this. <laughs> I'd rather see an empty space than for us to be just casual Christians. But I want us to be people who say, I'm ready and willing, Lord, for whatever you have, for whatever you put in front of me. And if that's five or 5,000, let's roll. 
Because whether it's five, we're going to accomplish what God has put in front of us. Or whether it's 5,000, we're going to accomplish what God has put in front of us as long as the posture of our heart is to say, I want to do what you've called me to do. That's why it's important to understand the definition of success. The definition of success is never about how many and who knows you and who saw it and all that. The definition of success is, it, did you do what God said to do? That's it. It's simple. So, you know, we planted the, the, the church and folks like, how many showing up? How many are there? That's irrelevant, brother is did we do what he said to do? Because I'm not going to allow myself to be judged by your standards that when he stands, when I stand before him, that he's like, yo, that's not what I said to do. I want to pass the two-question test. What did you do with my son Jesus, and what did you do with what I gave you? And that is not going to be defined by any earthly standards, but it's going to be defined by did I do what he said. That's how you get the folks who he says, well, we prophesied in your name. We healed in your name. We cast out demons in your name. Depart from me, you work of iniquity. I don't even know who you are because you didn't do what I told you. So let's be people who live according to the word of God so that we can make a difference in every space in our lives, to make a difference in our families, in our communities, and to understand that's going to start with people because that's all we got. We got people. He placed us here with people, and so we got to figure it out, and we got to work together to accomplish. That's what purpose is, is God saying, I'm going to do this regardless, but purpose is I'm giving you an opportunity of what I'm going to do. And so we got a chance to connect with that. It's to know him and to make him known, and to make him known part of different ways that he allows us to make him known. So whether you're an engineer, doctor, lawyer, creative, technician, wherever it is, that's how you get to make him known through the things that he's allowed you to do in other relationships and interactions that we have. And we'll close today. And that wasn't what I was supposed to speak to us with today. So somebody come help me land this plane. This is one of those things that you're like, boom, you remixed it, Lord. Now where do I pick back up? And I'm like, we're just going to flow with it, and y'all going to be okay. You know, they tell you, we're going to fly at 24,000 instead of 35,000. That's what we're doing right now. But I, I do, I do want to get to this. Ultimately, in this story, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And what you see is there was a priest that came by. So this road was a known road where folks would hang in the trenches to rob others. And so they would ambush them, basically. And so think about, you know, if you ever went out of town to some, you know, major city, and they're like, yo, stay away from such and such road, stay away from that avenue, like this is that avenue. And, and so this guy, he gets ambushed on this road, they beat him up, left him for half dead. But it's amazing that his situation is going to turn around because this priest is coming by, not so much. The priest decides to go on the other side. Well, then later on, a Levite uh, from the tribe of Levi, priestly tribe, uh, who would be a temple worker, an assistant intern in the temple. So perhaps he's going to do what his boss didn't do. Unfortunately, he too went by on the other side. But here comes a Samaritan. And Jesus is telling this story, right, to a Jewish lawyer, someone who's well-versed in the Mosaic law. There would have been an uproar. People would have lost it. Because Jews and Samaritans were like oil and water. They just didn't mix. Because Jews submitted, 
uh, considered Samaritans to be half-breeds because they had intermarried. And Samaritans didn't uphold the law in the way that Jews did. And so because of that and other reasons, Jews despised them. So you can imagine everything that was happening in this moment when Jesus says a Samaritan was coming by. But we saw the response of the priests. We saw the response of the Levite. But what did this Samaritan do? This Samaritan chose not to judge in the moment. He chose not to complain in the moment, but he simply chose to have compassion. That he didn't see this person as a problem, but instead he saw it as an opportunity to meet a need. And we all have been there where we have perhaps been the priest and been the Levite. But I feel like the Lord is calling us to, to be the Samaritan, to, to save the story and the way we vote and the way we whatever and see that this is a person who is in need. And can we simply have compassion for those who are hurting? Because when we do, it's, it reflects the character and the nature of our Savior. That in Matthew 9, 36, when it says he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless. They were sheep without a shepherd. Family, can we have compassion? But his compassion or compassion isn't just like, oh, man, that's so sad. Hey, so what you want to eat? But compassion it invokes a response. It will compel us into action. Compassion will always move you into action. And what did the compassion of Christ do? It led to his passion that was spilled out on the cross. That he says, I must, I must do something about this. And that's what the Samaritan did. He, he took action. So listen, family. We can't see people as our problem. But rather, people have to be our heart. And can I challenge you with this? Can I challenge us with this? The next time you get frustrated with something, regardless of how right you are, can I tell you, you are right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You should be mad. You're right. You're right. And what if you turn that, what if we turn that moment of frustration into prayer? Because we don't know what we don't know. And we never know what's behind the problems of someone that we see. We see the surface, but we don't see beneath the surface. So what if we took time to pray for that person? Be frustrated. Be mad. Be big mad. You should. But what if you took the time? What if we took the time to pray and truly live with people as our heart? Now you say, how do I do that? How do we live this out? If people matter to us, how do we show that they matter? Well, let's go to verse 34. It gives us the blueprint. So it says this about the action that the Samaritan took. He went to the man who was hurting. He bandaged him, his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He put him on his own donkey. And then he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. Here's what that looks like practically. He ran towards the pain. So he didn't do what the priest and the Levite did, went away from the pain, but instead he ran to the pain. Can we be people who simply run towards the pain? Can we, can we run towards the hurting? Can we run towards the broken? You say, how? Listen, it's not about what you even have to say. Sometimes it's just someone knowing that someone else is in their corner. 
It's just knowing that you're here, just knowing that you're a shoulder, this just knowing that you're an ear. Listen, I don't even I don't need the solutions. I don't even look, you don't even, don't have, you don't have to quote me any scripture. You just be like, hey, I already know. I just need you to sit right here. I just need you to be here. Can we run towards the pain? Secondly, can we be an agent of healing? So what did he do? He bandaged the man up. He poured on oil and wine. Oil and wine were used in medicine to heal wounds. Can we be agents of healing by the way we speak to people, by the words that we communicate and share? Psalm 107, verse 20, it says this, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. The word of God brings healing. Can we speak the word of God over people? Listen, when someone is hurting, when someone's broken, you ain't got to break out the Bible and quote scripture. But when you're thinking about them, begin to pray the word over them. Because, see, the word is not confined by some barrier of distance. When the word is sent out, it will accomplish everything that it was sent out to perform. So declare the word of God over them because it will deliver them from whatever it is they're walking through. And lastly, point people to Jesus. So he brought the man to an end where he could rest and be taken care of. Listen, family, can we bring people to the only place that they can find true rest, which is in Jesus? It's, in, it's not found in any other place. Everything that we see, everything in the, it's in the world, it's people who are searching for something deeper. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for purpose. They're searching for understanding. And all of that what they're searching for and what they don't understand is found in the person of Jesus. It's found in him. And so we'll call it all these things. We'll call it new age. We'll call it all these things. And even if you look in some of that stuff, you start to see almost sometimes where these lines get blurry. I manifested. No, you didn't do that. All of what you want, all of what you're seeking, all of what you're looking for, is only found in the person of Jesus who is the ultimate fulfillment and sustainer in all things and through all things. So other things are based on the circumstance. But when you live your life and point people to Jesus, he is the one that when all hell is breaking through in your life, that you may not be able to say a word, but you can lift up your hand because in your heart of hearts, you still know he is good. Even though you're in the middle of pain right now, you still know he's good. Even though you're feeling the worst of worst right now, just by the lifting up of your hands, you're still declaring that he is good. Good vibes won't do that. Brunch won't do that. But it's the person of Jesus who does that. Now, the words that I say is, is just to present this to you. I can't truly get you to understand that. It's just the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I get a chance to present it. And then my prayer is that the convicting work of the convicting, not condemnation, convicting work of the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. All right, I'm going to say one more thing. And we're going to pray, and we're going to get, uh, we'll receive offering, and we'll get out of here. I'm going to say something that I'm, it, it may step on your toes. And if you get offended, don't. And if you do, get mad and come on back next week. All right. So, 
our hearts are like soil. And it's important for our hearts to be conditioned to receive the word that First Peter calls incorruptible seed. But if our hearts aren't conditioned to receive the words, then it's going to fall on ground that the seed can't take root to then bring forth a harvest. So what am I saying? Y'all get here when worship begins. Because here's what worship does. See, I said, don't get mad. Here's what worship does. Worship conditions the soil of your heart. So then by the time the word comes, it can then go down into good soil. It's incorruptible seed. So then when hell breaks out, the seed that's in your heart is the thing that you respond with, not your emotions, right? And not what you're feeling, not how you're interpreting the circumstance. But it's the incorruptible seed. It's what, I didn't even know that was in there, but it is incorruptible, right? It's not going to spoil. It's not going to go bad, but it's going to bring forth the harvest. But guess what? It never gets dropped in that soil and goes down deep if you never allow the condition of your heart to be set in place and be ready to receive the word. So if you allow me to pastor for a moment, that's what I'm going to say is, y'all get here. At least half of the first song, get here. Look, if you make coffee at home, it's already here. We got something for you. Come on in. Get the kids checked in. And come on and get here so that your heart can receive the word of God for what he wants to say and do in your life. Amen? Come on, let's.